Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody say praise the Lord. Say praise the Lord. Oh, it sounds like you mean it this morning. I'm so glad that you're here today. What a great looking bunch. Just tell the person beside you, you look so nice today. You're making me look bad. <laughs> and then ask them, have you lost a little weight? Just ask them that. That makes everybody feel a little better. <laughs> Well, we're glad that you're here, and again, as Crystal said, we're glad that those that have joined us online are with us, and if you're a first-time guest, we hope it's the first of the rest of your life. We say welcome home, Cap City. Can we just give them a great big welcome and let them know we're glad you're here? Amen. And you're the reason that we're here. We're so glad that you've come together, and, and the ultimate reason that we come together, however, is to is to worship the Lord and to lift up his name, for he is the reason we do all things. Amen? In fact, in Hebrews 13, the writer talks about what we can do to really move the heart of God. And this morning, we're going to find that our praise is pleasing to him. It moves him. It blesses God. Our praise gives him pleasure. In fact, it's not in your notes, but Psalm 103.1 says, Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, and all that is in me, bless his holy name. Did you ever ask yourself, well, how in the world can I bless God? It seems like he is the one who's supposed to bless me, right? He's a great big God, and, and he's so much bigger than I am. Well, did you know that there is something that we can do that even the angels cannot do? In fact, there's something that we can do that even God cannot do. I hope I've got your attention. I want you to know that there's something that we can do that goes beyond what the angels can do, that goes beyond what God can do. We are the only ones who can offer the praise and the worship of the redeemed. We are the only ones that can thank God for bringing us out of the miry clay and changing our life and putting us on the path this day. Amen? And we've talked a lot about what the Bible says about worship and what the Bible says about praise and, and how the Bible says we're to lift our hands and we're, we're to lift our voice in praise. And we've learned that lifting our hands means two things. It means victory. We find victory in Jesus. And everybody that's ever watched a ball game and your favorite team won, you know, you don't even have to, nobody has to tell you. You just stand up, your hands go in the air, go, yeah! we won, right? It's a sign of victory. We have won. It's also a sign of surrender. And if you ask Carl, our resident uh, retired police officer, he would tell you that uh, when, you, when you stop somebody, whether they're coming out of a bank or you're, or you're chasing them down the street and you say, stop in the name of the law, and what's the next thing they say? Hands up, right? It's a sign of surrender. It's a sign of surrender. But I was thinking about raising our hands, and it, uh, it reminded me of a funny article in, in, uh, in uh, Christianity Today, and it was called, How We Handled Hand-Raising in Our Church. And I thought I'd bring it along and read it to you today. It says, I guess it was bound to happen sooner or later, but who would have expected it from mild-mannered Jim Mosley, one of our leading laymen? The guy raised not one arm, but two arms during the first hymn. Jim always sits close to the front, so there was no hiding it. And we're not talking one of those half-hearted palms up at the waist to humor the song leader efforts, right? No, sir. Those arms went all the way up. And Mabel Smith saw it because she sits right behind him over to the left. 
And when she saw him, she wobbled a bit and had to grab the pew in front of her and then finally just had to sit down. (laughs) Jim's teenage son buried his face even deeper into the hymnal while his sister turned turned to her friends with one of those, who's this guy, looks. Our song leader fell two measures behind before he was able to collect himself. After church, our pastor called an emergency meeting of the deacons. He said, I'm not sure if you noticed Jim's expression of praise this morning. I'm not suggesting that what he did was out of place. I just wanted to discuss it in case any of you had a problem here. One of the deacons said it really didn't bother him, but he wondered what the visitors might think. (laughs) No one came right out and said it or spoke against raising hands, but another deacon said he once thought of raising his hands but decided not to. Then another deacon spoke up and said, well, at least we ought to appoint a committee to establish some of the guidelines for those who want to have such spiritual exuberance. (laughs) The pastor asked for a show of hands for anyone who would like to serve on such a committee. And it's too bad old Jim Mosley wasn't a deacon because not a hand was lifted. Oh, I tell you what, you know, I think that we as a church can go a long ways before we have to call a deacon's meeting about us being way too excited about Jesus. Amen? <laughs> How many of you know that God loves it when his people worship him? How many of you know God loves it when his people praise him? And in Hebrews chapter 13, it shows us, so I'm going to kind of take you on a journey today in the three stages of sacrifice, the three stages of sacrifice. If you have your notes, you can pull them out of your program there, your bulletin, and you can follow along. I'll put them on the screen as well. You can open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapters 13. And it says in verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I tell you what, we could stop right there and give God all the praise. Amen. How many of you are glad that we still serve the same Jesus today that was alive 2,000 years ago, was crucified, buried, rose again, and is alive today and on the throne, and he is God of all things, amen? He has won victory over sin, death, and the grave, and we cannot face anything that is too big for God. He's never surprised. He's never overwhelmed. He's never caught off guard. The Jesus that we serve is alive. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not, watch this, so do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of the animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. Oh, can I get a good amen on that? Amen. This world is not our home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. We were just talking about this the other day in the van. Crystal and I were saying, you know what? Heaven is coming, and it's going to be a wonderful time. Amen? Uh, But I'm glad that God gives us a picture. As we were worshiping today, I just sensed the presence of God, and I felt like we were getting a picture, a taste of what heaven must be like. 
Then I want you to look at verse 15. It says, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. We just bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, thank you for your presence today. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for the love letter that you gave to us. I thank you, Lord, for the truths that we can pull out of it. And I pray, dear God, that uh, I would not be seen, but your words would be heard today. I pray, Lord, you would speak to us your truth. And as we continue this series, Holy Roar, help us as your people to let out a holy roar for you. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of our honor. You are worthy of our worship. God, I just pray for the next few moments. You would seal in our heart your word in us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When the Hebrew writer compared praise and worship, he compared it to a sacrifice. And so I want to, what I want to do today is I want to look at the three stages of sacrifice throughout the scriptures and throughout the life of the church. And according to Hebrews 13, our sacrifice of praise to God is the equivalent of the Old Testament priests who would enter the temple and give sacrifices of animals. How many of you glad you didn't have to bring an animal in today to sacrifice? Just raise your hand. So I'm just glad I didn't have to do that. Amen. How many of you know that if that was the key, you'd have to go out and buy an animal because there's no way you're bringing your dog in, huh? Or your cat, right? (laughs) Well, let's look at the three basic stages of sacrifice today. And let's let the scripture show us the freedom that Jesus has provided for each of us in this process of praise. Are you ready? All right, let's get started. If you're taking notes, the first is this, Old Testament sacrifice. As we read there in Hebrews, the Old Testament sacrifice was that of animals. Literally, what they would do is they would bring an unblemished animal, the best that they had, and they would bring it to be sacrificed. In verse 11 says the Old Testament tabernacle, the animals were sacrificed and their blood was presented to God by the priests. Their bodies were taken outside the camp and they were burned. I mean, I, I, you know, how many of you know that if that was the process of worship today, it'd be a little bit harder to get our neighbors to come to church, eh? right? Hey, I'd like you to come to First Sunday next week. By the way, do you have a cow? <laughs> do you have a goat? Well, you know, maybe not. Do you have a cat? Would that be okay? You might want to bring it, and just don't plan on bringing, you know, a little, a little Fido home with you, all right? Just bring him and, and leave him. No, no, no. That would be a tough, that would be a tough sell, wouldn't it? But that was those days. The tabernacle uh, was, was the place where the presence of God was. And they would bring their sacrifice and they would give it to God. So in the Old, Temer, in the Old Testament tabernacle, and we talked about this back in God's favorite house. If you want to go back and revisit that, we kind of dove into what all of this was. But let me just give you a brief overview of what happened and what took place. If you're taking notes, write this down. Only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could enter the presence of God. Can you imagine if only one guy, only one person could ever get into the presence of God? The tabernacle contained three areas. There was this outer court, and then there was an inner court, and then there was a Holy of Holies. And this entire congregation except for those who 
we'll say the elders. If you're not an elder, you wouldn't even be allowed to be in this room. And if we were going to kind of talk about how it would look today, the way it would look is if you came to church, you'd have to sit out in the lobby and we'd have to sacrifice your animal out there. And those that were worthy of coming into the, the inner court, they would come in here and they would do the process of, uh, of, of, of the, the worship time. And then there would be this big curtain from the, all the way across from that wall to that wall across the whole front. And this is in here where God dwelled and there was only one person could enter into the presence of God. How many of you know that you would kind of feel left out if that's the way it was? You would be like, wait a minute, that's not fair, right? But that's the way it had to be. That's the way it was, that's the way it was presented in those days. And that's not the way that it was, it was going to be, but that's the way it was founded in the early days. And it's interesting also, number two, there was no singing in their worship. It was not a time of singing. It was not a time of jubilation. Just a time of bringing an unblemished sacrifice to please the Lord. It was, it was living under the law. It was doing what you had to do, whether you wanted to do it or not, if you wanted to be pleasing to God. And so number three, it was based on law and works. The rules that you kept and the rituals that you performed are what made you worthy to even be a God follower. Now, if you had a good relationship with your parents you know that that's because they loved you enough to trust you, right? They loved you enough to show you the right way and then to trust you. And the older you got, the more that they trusted you. I'm very blessed to have a mom and dad that loved me. And when I was very young, there was a lot more punishment. There was a lot more, uh, Phil, don't do that or else. But the older I got, the more I realized that, that uh, what they were saying actually made sense. And I probably shouldn't play in the street because I might get hit by a car, right? And so no longer did they have to threaten me with a spanking if I played in the street. And that's right, my parents spanked me, and I survived it. Can I get a good amen, huh? <clears throat> but I know now that what they told me, you know how I know that? Because now I have kids, and I had to tell them the same thing when they were young. But now they're all adults, and they understand it, and they know it. And soon they're going to have kids, and they're going to start laying. But what, you, you see the relationship. It was like the early childhood of the church when, you know what, you have to do this because if you don't, you don't understand what will happen. In other words, I don't believe that God, and some will say, well, that, that seems like a different God than today. No, no. God put the laws together to help them, uh, to kind of guard them from themselves. In other words, you know, they didn't have uh, refrigerators back then. So they said, you know what, don't eat meat after the first day or second day. It's going to spoil. You're, you know, you might die from it. He was literally protecting them from themselves like they were young children. And so in those moments, in those times, it was under the law and the works. Do it because I said so. You with me? But how many of you glad that God sent his son to die on a cross and to rise again on the third day so that the law would be fulfilled. Number two, the New Testament sacrifice is Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled our need for blood to cleanse us from sin, for the, the blood of animals to cleanse us from sin, and he gave his own blood for the atonement. And now, today, nothing but a lack of worship can keep us from the presence of God. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, some things happened. First of all, he fulfilled the law of God. Jesus was and is 
the ultimate sacrifice. You can leave the animals at home. Jesus has given his blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Aren't you glad for that today? You see, God's law is that man is sinful and there must be a sacrifice. And so in the Old Testament times, it wasn't the blood of the animals that saved them. That was a, that was a look forward to the blood of Christ. And when Jesus came, he gave the ultimate sacrifice as the ultimate spotless lamb. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus fulfilled the law. That's why he said, when they came and tried to trick him, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the church leaders, they would always try to trick him and try to, try to catch him off guard and try to catch him saying something that they could get him in trouble for. And one day they came to him and said, all right, out of all of these laws, it wasn't just the Ten Commandments. There was over 400 laws back in those days. Out of all the laws, which is the most important? You remember what Jesus said. Listen, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And in, those, in their minds, they were thinking, oh, wait a minute. Uh, thou shalt not kill. Okay, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, he got that one. Um, do not bear false witness. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, he got that one. Uh, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Yeah, he got that one. And before they said anything, they realized that Jesus fulfilled the law with what we call and what we know is the word. Write this somewhere in your notes. L-O-V-E with love. The greatest law is the law of love because Jesus knew that if I love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I will do whatever he asks me to do. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't need the law. I just ask him, Lord, is this pleasing to you? And he will give me in my spirit an understanding of what is right and wrong. And I'm so glad that if I have any questions and if I have any wonders, I can open up the word of God. And he gave me this, what I call his love letter to us. With all of these instructions and all of these things that will help us understand who God is. And God knew that if we loved our neighbors ourselves, we wouldn't gossip anymore. He knew that if we loved our neighbors ourselves, how many of you, let me just ask you this, how many of you just get up in the morning hoping, you just can't wait until somebody says something mean about you on Facebook? Just raise your hand. You just can't wait. How many of you just can't wait until the rumor mill comes back around and someone said that you're a worthless person? How many of you, you just can't wait until someone says you're terrible? How many of you are like that? No, not one of us. How many love it when you have to go 24, wait, how many of you just can't wait to go 48 hours without a meal? Just raise your hand. You just, you know, you're just ready. Sign me up. I'll start today. You can't wait. How many of you, when it snows and sleets and rains, how many of you say, you know what? I can't wait to go out and spend three or four hours out there with no coat in my shorts just to enjoy the weather, huh? How many None of you. How many of you would just say, you know what? I can't wait until the day I can finally not have a house. And I can just live out and enjoy nature. And I can just live under the stars all year long in the cold and the heat. Oh, I can't wait for those mosquitoes. It's the best thing in the world, huh? Not one of you. Well, what if we turn that around? And what if we realize that loving my neighbor as myself understands that I'm going to feed my neighbor because I love to be fed? 
And I'm going to put a roof over my neighbor's head because I love to have a roof over my head. And I'm going to put a coat around them in the cold because I love to have a coat around me in the cold. How many of you know that loving my neighbor is treating them exactly like I want to be treated? I think it would change the way the next, thing we, next time we go on social media and we start to type something. I think we might think about it first before we put that in there. I think we might think about it first before we hit send on that email. I think we might think about it first before we send that next text that's scathing and, you know, well, I'm right, Pastor. I'm right, and they're wrong. Did you know that you can be right and still be wrong? You know, everybody has a right to their opinion. This is what I say. Write this down. Everybody has a right to their opinion. Why? Because everybody has one. What you don't have as a Christian is a right to be mean about it. And God help us if the church isn't the first, uh, first entity that is showing the love of God. God help us if we're not the very first ones that people think of when they think of people that love them. So Jesus knew, I'm going to fulfill the law in a way that people will no longer go around bearing false witness and lying about their neighbor and tearing them down. Secondly, I love this. He removed the barrier between us and God. The moment that Jesus took his last breath, that veil, you remember I talked about that veil that started at that wall and went to that wall and stood between you and the presence of God? Literally, the Bible says literally the moment that Jesus died, that veil, it was a real thing, that veil tore in two and gave everybody in the room and in the lobby and outside everybody access to the, to the presence of God. Come on, can I get a good amen on that? Aren't you glad that we no longer have to go through Pastor Phil to get to God? Amen? I'm glad too. I'd never get anything done. <laughs> You don't have to be in this room. You can be in a phone booth and get to God in the presence of God. And it all starts with what we're going to talk about in just a moment. He, he removed the barrier. No priest, no pastor is needed to speak to him. And the third thing that happened, write this down. He provided for intimacy with God. You see, we are now beyond knowing about God. We now can know God. You don't have to sit and have the scriptures read to you anymore. You can open your own Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you can open your phone or your tablet or your computer. Go to Bible.com, and it's all right there for free in any version that you want. It's all there. And you can read it for yourself in your language, whatever your language is. It's provided for all of you. And you can learn about God through his love letter. No longer do we, do we talk about him. No longer do we sing about him. But we talk to him and we sing to him. If the worship, I call it the worship movement, has done anything. And don't get me wrong, I, I love the hymns and we have our monthly hymn sing and, and we do hymns during worship time as well. And, and they're not all this way, but many times the, the, the hymns and and, and the, uh, the early worship choruses were songs about God. But what happened during the, the, the mid-80s and the early 90s is people began to write songs to God. Your goodness is coming after. It's coming after me. 
It's coming after me, God. No longer are we just singing about him, but we're singing to him. And every person on the sound of my voice, whether you're in this room, you're watching online, any person that ever was or ever will be has this opportunity to sing and to talk directly to God. Well, since Jesus already gave the ultimate sacrifice, what is our sacrifice? If you're taking notes, write it down. Our sacrifice is a sacrifice of praise. Our sacrifice takes the place of the animals. And we can just praise God. And it is a sacrifice. Why? Because we don't always feel like praising God. You might have come in here this morning and you were like, I don't, I don't know. I guess I'm just coming because I know I should. And you know what? That's sometimes the best time to come to church. In fact, I'm just going to say this. The best time for you to come to church is when you don't feel like it. Because then it's a sacrifice. And it means something to God. Praise is a sacrifice because we do some things like engage in spiritual warfare. When the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, he was coming in for the atonement of the sins of the whole nation of Israel, and he was entering into spiritual warfare. And when we praise God, we are waking up the heavenlies. I want to tell you something. There's been a lot of things that have happened during this series that I just looked at the Lord and I said, I know this is just the devil trying to get me down. It's because the, the devil doesn't want you to hear this. The devil doesn't want you to know this. He wants you to stay discouraged. He wants you to stay down. He wants you to stay depressed. He doesn't want you to praise God. He doesn't want you to be lifted up. He doesn't want you to get excited about God because then you'll start following God and that goes against his whole plan. And any time that I talk about the Holy Spirit or I talk about worship, I just pray more and I spend more time with God because I know the enemy wakes up. When you begin to praise God, there's spiritual warfare going on. But let me tell you something. It's worth it because in praise, we enter into the very throne room of God, the very presence of God. And when we praise him, we connect with all of heaven's resources. Everything that God has for us. Peace, hope, joy, salvation, forgiveness. All of that. The moment we begin to praise him, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. In fact, in the Old Testament, when they would sacrifice an animal, the smoke would rise up to heaven. And the Bible says that it was a sweet-smelling savor to the nostrils of God. It warms his heart. So if God inhabits the praises of his people, which he does, when God dwells in the praise of his people, it is that sacrifice of praise that is a sweet-smelling savor to the nostrils of God. Verse 15 said, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that confess His name. That tells me three things 
about our sacrifice of praise, I want you to look at that verse. And I want you to notice, first of all, and circle and underline this word, continually. Would you do that? Some of us just praise God when we feel blessed. No, no. Continually offer a sacrifice of praise. Not just at set times, but at all times. Not just when I feel like it, but no matter when it is. And if we wait till we feel like it, it may be a couple months, it may be never. That's why we call it a sacrifice. So on this first note, here's all I want you to do. Whatever you walked into this room with, whatever it is that you brought in here with, whatever baggage, whatever hurt, whatever struggle that you're facing right now, I'm going to ask you to put it on the altar of worship as a sacrifice of praise. I'm going to ask you to just give it to God. And in just a minute, we're going to sing that song again, The Goodness of God. And I'm just going to ask you to just give it to Him. Some of you may want to literally just come up and stand at this altar to signify that you are giving it all to Him. Some of you may just want to stand right where you are and just say, God, I give you my finances. I give you my family. I give you my worries. I give you my pain. Whatever it is. Those relationships that are giving you so much frustration, whatever it is that's standing between you and complete surrender to God. Praise Him. Sing about the goodness of God. The first funeral I ever preached was a funeral of a man who never gave any indication that he'd given his heart to God. I was just a young kid. I said, Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to preach about? And before I really knew what I was going to preach about at that funeral, I learned that his live-in, not wife, because they weren't married, because he was still married to this other woman, but they weren't living together. And I found out that they were fighting of who would see the body last. I'm like, Lord, I'm just a kid. What am I doing here? I, I, I have no business preaching this funeral. I have no idea what to say. You know what God said? Just talk about my goodness. Talk about how great I am and how awesome I am. And let people know that no matter where they are, they can bring a sacrifice of surrender, confession, and praise to me. And I will change their life forever. Wow. And then the second thing I see, it is the act of a will. Let us continually offer a sacrifice. I'm going to do it because I know that's what Scripture said is the process for me to find freedom. And then I see that it is the fruit of our lips. Do you see that in verse 15? It is an audible confession. God, I praise you. I worship you. I confess your name. The Hebrew writer says in 13, let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. Wow. I'm going to ask the praise team to come going to ask the ushers to come. We're going to receive the tithes and offerings at this time. 
This is not dismissal. This is a continual time of worship and praise. And I just want us to give God our everything today. He's asking us, what will you give to me? Will you give me your praise? Father, I thank you for the incredible blessings that you bring to each of us. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come into your presence and to lift our hearts to you. Lord, if there's anyone here today that has never accepted you as their personal Savior, I pray right now, Lord, that they would just humble themselves. And in this holy moment, they would pray this prayer. Lord, the best way I know how, I confess you as Lord. Lord, I admit that I need you in my life. My life is a mess. I admit that I've done things wrong and I confess my sin to you and you said that you would forgive me. Lord, change me from the inside out. Forgive me of my sins. Lord, I believe you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross and I believe he rose again. I believe that he is my forgiver. Lord, right now, I ask you to change me from the inside out. The best way I know how, Lord, I come ask you to come into my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, this can be your song. <laughs> the goodness of God. Let's just lift our hearts. Let's lift our worship. Let's give God our praise. And can we just confess his goodness and his greatness this morning? Amen.
our first fruits. You have all of our attention, God. We love you. We're here for you. You are dismissed.